0: Chapter three of the Case of Jenny Bryce. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Case of Jenny Bryce by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter three. I looked at my clock as I went downstairs. It was just twelve thirty. I thought of telephoning for Mr. Reynolds to meet me but it was his launch hour, and besides, I was afraid to telephone from the house while Mr. Ladley was in it. Peter had been whining again. When I came down the stairs, he had stopped whimpering and was wagging his tail. A strange boat had put into the hallway and was coming back. "'Now, old boy,' somebody was saying from the boat, "'steady, old chap. I've got something for you.' A little man, elderly and alert, was standing up in the boat, pulling it along with an oar. Peter gave vent to joyful yelps. The elderly gentleman brought his boat to a stop at the foot of the stairs, and, reaching down into a tub at his feet, held up a large piece of raw liver. Peter almost went crazy, and I remembered suddenly that I had forgotten to feed the poor beast for more than a day. "'Would you like it?' asked the gentleman peter sat up as he had been taught to do and barked the gentleman reached down again got a wooden platter from the stack of them at his feet and placing the liver on it put it on the step the whole thing was so neat and business-like that i could only gaze that's a well-trained dog madam said the elderly gentleman beaming at peter over his glasses you should not have neglected him the flood put him out of my mind i explained humbly enough for I was ashamed. Exactly. Do you know how many starving dogs and cats I have found this morning? He took a notebook out of his pocket and glanced at it. Forty-eight! Forty-eight, madam! And ninety-three cats! I have found them marooned in trees, clinging to fences, floating on barrels, and I have found them in comfortable houses where there was no excuse for their neglect. Well, I must be moving on i have the report of a cat with a new litter in the loft of a stable near here he wiped his hands carefully on a fresh paper napkin of which also a heap rested in one of the seats of the boat and picked up an oar smiling benevolently at peter then suddenly he bent over and looked at the stained rope end tied to the stair rail what's that he said that's what i'm going to find out i replied I glanced up at the Ladley's door, but it was closed. So the little man dropped his oar, and, fumbling in his pockets, pulled out a small magnifying glass. He bent over, holding to the rail, and inspected the stains with the glass. i had taken a fancy to him at once, and in spite of my excitement, I had to smile a little. "Hm," he said, and looked up at me. "'That's blood. Why did you... cut?' the boat loose i didn't i said if that is blood i want to know how it got there that was a new rope last night i glanced at the ladley's door again and he followed my eyes i wonder he said raising his voice a little if i come into your kitchen if you will allow me to fry a little of that liver there's a wretched maltese in a tree at the corner of fourth street that won't touch it raw I saw that he wanted to talk to me, so I turned around and led the way to the temporary kitchen I had made. "'Now,' he said briskly when he had closed the door, "'there's something wrong here. Perhaps if you tell me I can help. If I can't, it will do you good to talk about it. My name's Holcomb, retired merchant. Applied to First National Bank for references.' "'I'm not sure there is anything wrong,' I began." I guess I'm only nervous, and thinking little things are big ones. There's nothing to tell. Nonsense! I come down the street in my boat. A white-faced gentleman with a cigarette looks out from a window when I stop at the door, and ducks back when I glance up. I come in and find a pet dog, obviously overfed at ordinary times, whining with hunger on the stairs. As I prepare to feed him, a pale woman comes down, trying to put a right-hand glove on her left hand, and with her jacket wrong side out what am i to think i started and looked at my coat he was right and when as i tried to take it off he helped me and even patted me on the shoulder what with his kindness and the long morning alone worrying and the sleepless night i began to cry he had a clean handkerchief in my hand before i had time to think of one that's it he said it will do you good "'Only don't make a noise about it. "'If it's a husband on the annual flood spree, don't worry, madam. "'They always come around in time to whitewash the cellars.' "'It isn't a husband,' I sniffled. "'Tell me about it,' he said. "'There was something so kindly in his face, "'and it was so long since I had had a bit of human sympathy "'that I almost broke down again. "'I sat there with a crowd of children "'paddling on a raft outside the window.' and molly mcguire next door hauling the morning milk up in a pail fastened to a rope her doorway being too narrow to admit the milkman's boat and i told him the whole story he exclaimed when i had finished it's curious but you can't prove a murder unless you can produce a body when the river goes down we'll find the body i said shivering it's in the parlor then why doesn't he try to get away he is ready to go now he only went back when your boat came in mr holcomb ran through the door and flinging it open peered into the lower hall he was too late his boat was gone tub of liver pile of wooden platters and all we hurried to the room the ladleys had occupied it was empty from the window as we looked out we could see the boat almost a square away it had stopped where the street being higher a doorstep rose above the flood on the step was sitting a forlorn yellow puppy as we stared mr ladley stopped the boat looked back at us bent over placed a piece of liver on a platter and reached it over to the dog then rising in the boat he bowed with his hat over his heart in our direction sat down calmly and rowed around the corner out of sight Mr. Holcomb was in a frenzy of rage. He jumped up and down, shaking his fist out the window after the retreating boat. He ran down the staircase, only to come back and look out the window again. The police boat was not in sight, but the McGuire children had worked their raft around to the street and were under the window. He leaned out and called to them. "'A quarter each, boys,' he said. "'If you'll take me on that raft to the nearest pavement.' "'Money first,' said the oldest boy, holding his cap." But Mr. Holcomb did not wait. He swung out over the window sill, holding by his hands, and lit fairly in the center of the raft. "'Don't touch anything in that room until I come back,' he called to me, and, jerking the pole from one of the boys, propelled the raft with amazing speed down the street. The liver on the stove was burning. There was a smell of scorching through the rooms and a sort of bluish haze of smoke. I hurried back and took it off. By the time I had cleaned the pen, Mr. Holcomb was back again in his own boat. He had found it at the end of the next street, where the flood ceased, but no sign of Ladley anywhere. He had not seen the police boat. Perhaps that is just as well, he said philosophically. We can't go to the police with a wet slipper and a bloodstained rope and accuse a man of murder. We have to have a body. He killed her, I said obstinately. "'She told me yesterday he was a fiend. "'He killed her and threw the body in the water. "'Very likely, but he didn't throw it here.' "'But in spite of that, "'he went all over the lower hall with his boat, feeling every foot of the floor with an oar, "'and finally, at the back end, "'he looked up at me as I stood on the stairs. "'There's something here,' he said. "'I went cold all over, "'and had to clutch the railing. "'But when Terry had come,' and the two of them brought the thing to the surface, it was only the dining-room rug which I had rolled up and forgotten to carry upstairs. At half-past one, Mr. Holcomb wrote a note, and sent it off with Terry, and borrowing my boots, which had been Mr. Pittman's, investigated the dining-room and kitchen from a floating plank. The doors were too narrow to admit the boat, but he had found nothing more important than a rolling pin. He was not at all depressed by his failure, he came back drenched to the skin, about three, and asked permission to search the laddy's bedroom. I have a friend coming pretty soon, Mrs. Pitman," he said, "a young newspaper man named Howell. He's a nice boy, and if there is anything to this, I'd like him to have it for his paper. He and I have been having some arguments about circumstantial evidence too, and I know he'd like to work on this. I gave him a pair of Mr. Pitman's socks for his own were saturated, and while he was changing them, the telephone rang. It was the theater again asking for Jenny Bryce. "'You are certain she is out of the city?' someone asked, the same voice as in the morning. "'Her husband says so. Ask him to come to the phone. He is not here. Won't you expect him back?' "'I am not sure he is coming back.' "'Look here,' said the voice angrily. "'Can't you give me any satisfaction?' Or don't you care to? I've told you all I know. You don't know where she is? No, sir. She didn't say she was coming back to rehearse her next week's piece? Her husband said she went away for a few days' rest. He went away about noon and hasn't come back. That's all I know, except that they owe me three weeks' rent that I'd like to get hold of." The owner of the voice hung up the receiver with a snap, and left me pondering. "'It seemed to me that Mr. Ladley had been very reckless. "'Did he expect anyone to believe "'that Jenny Bryce had gone for a vacation "'without notifying the theatre? "'Especially when she was to rehearse that week? "'I thought it curious, to say the least. "'I went back and told Mr. Holcombe, "'who put it down in his notebook, "'and together we went to the Ladley's room. "'The room was in better order than usual, as I have said. "'The bed was made, which was out of the ordinary.' "'for Jenny Bryce never made a bed, "'but made the way a man makes one, "'with the blankets wrinkled and crooked beneath, "'and the white counterpane pulled smoothly over the top, "'shoving every lump beneath. "'I showed Mr. Holcomb the splasher, "'dotted with ink as usual. "'I'll take it off and soak it in milk,' I said. "'It's his fountain pen. "'When the ink doesn't run, he shakes it and... "'Where's the clock?' said Mr. Holcomb, "'stopping in front of the mantel with his notebook in his hand. "'The clock?' "'I turned and looked. "'My onyx clock was gone from the mantel-shelf. "'Perhaps it seemed strange, "'but from the moment I missed that clock, "'my rage at Mr. Dadley increased to a fury. "'It was all I had had left of my former gentility. "'When times were hard and I got behind with the rent, "'as happened now and then, "'more than once i have been tempted to sell the clock. Or to pawn it, but I had never done it. Its ticking had kept me company on many a lonely night, and its elegance had helped me to keep my pride and to retain the respect of my neighbors. For in the flood district, onyx clocks are not plentiful. Missus Bryan, the saloon keeper's wife, had one, and I had another. That is, I had had. I stood staring at the mark in the dust of the mantel shelf which Mr. Holcomb was measuring with a pocket-tape measure. "'You're sure you didn't take it away yourself, Mrs. Spittman? he asked. "'Sure. Why, I could hardly lift it,' I said. He was looking carefully at the oblong of dust where the clock had stood. "'The key is gone, too,' he said, busily making entries in his notebook. "'What was the maker's name?' "'Why, I don't think I ever noticed.' He turned to me angrily. "'Why didn't you notice?' he snapped. "'Good God, woman! "'Do you only use your eyes to cry with? "'How can you wind a clock, time after time, "'and not know the maker's name? "'It proves my contention. "'The average witness is totally unreliable.' "'Not at all,' I snapped. "'I'm ordinarily both accurate and observing.' "'Indeed,' he said, putting his hands behind him. "'Then perhaps you can tell me the color of the pencil "'I have been writing with.' Certainly. Red. Most pencils are red, and I thought this was safe. But he held his right hand out with a flourish. I've been writing with a fountain pen, he said in deep disgust, and turned his back on me. But the next moment he had run to the washstand and pulled it out from the wall. Behind it, where it had fallen, lay a towel covered with stains, as if someone had wiped bloody hands on it. He held it up his face working with excitement. I could only cover my eyes. "'This looks better,' he said, and began making a quick search of the room, running from one piece of furniture to another, pulling out bureau drawers, drawing the bed out from the wall, and crawling along the baseboard with a lighted match in his hand. He gave a shout of triumph, finally, and reappeared from behind the bed with the broken end of my knife in his hand. "'Very clumsy,' he said, very clumsy peter the dog could have done better i had been examining the wall paper about the washstand among the ink spots were one or two reddish ones that made me shiver and seeing a scrap of note paper stuck between the baseboard and the wall i dug it out with a hairpin and threw it into the grate to be burned later it was by the merest chance there was no fire there the next moment Mr. Holcomb was on his knees by the fireplace, reaching for the scrap. "'Never do that under such circumstances,' he snapped, fishing among the ashes. "'You might throw away valuable—' "'Hello, Howell!' I turned and saw a young man in the doorway, smiling, his hat in his hand. Even at that first glance I liked Mr. Howell, and later, when everyone was against him, and many curious things were developing— I stood by him through everything, and even helped him to the thing he wanted more than anything else in the world. But that, of course, was later. "'What's the trouble, Holcomb?' he asked. "'Hitting the trail again?' "'A very curious thing that I just happened on,' said Mr. Holcomb. "'Mrs. Pittman, this is Mr. Howell, of whom I spoke. Sit down, Howell, and let me read you something.' With the crumpled paper still unopened in his hand, Mr. Holcomb took his notebook and read aloud what he had written. I have it before me now. Dog meat, two dollars. Boat hire. That's not it. Here. Yesterday, Sunday, March the 4th, Mrs. Pitman, landlady at 42 Union Street, heard two of her boarders quarreling. A man and his wife. Man's name? Philip Ladley. Wife's name? Jenny Ladley. "'known as Jenny Bryce at the Liberty Stock Company, "'where she has been playing small parts.' "'Mr. Howell nodded. "'I have heard of her,' he said. "'Not much of an actress, I believe.' "'The husband was also an actor, out of work, "'and employing his leisure time in writing a play. "'Everybody's doing it,' said Mr. Howell idly. "'The Sherberts were to star him in this,' I put in. "'He said that the climax at the end of the second act Mr. Holcomb shut his notebook with a snap. After we have finished gossiping, he said, I'll go on. Employing his leisure time in writing a play, quoted Mr. Howell. Exactly. The husband and wife were not on good terms. They quarreled frequently. On Sunday, they fought all day, and Mrs. Ladley told Mrs. Pittman she was married to a fiend. At four o'clock Sunday afternoon, Philip Ladley went out. Returning about five, Mrs. Pittman carried their supper to them at six, and both ate heartily. She did not see Mrs. Ladley at the time, but heard her in the next room. They were apparently reconciled. Mrs. Spitman reports Mr. Ladley in high good humor. If the quarrel recommenced during the night, the other boarder, named Reynolds, in the next room, heard nothing. Mrs. Pittman was up and down until one o'clock when she dozed off. She heard no unusual sound. At approximately two o'clock in the morning, however, this Runnels came to the room and said he had heard someone in a boat in the lower hall. He and Mrs. Pittman investigated. The boat, which Mrs. Pittman uses during a flood, and which she had tied to the stair rail, was gone, having been cut loose, not untied. Everything else was quiet, except that Mrs. Gladly's dog had been shot in a third-story room. At a quarter after four that morning, Mrs. Pitman, thoroughly awake, heard the boat returning, and going through the stairs, met Ladley coming in. He muttered something about having gone for medicine for his wife, and went to his room, shutting the dog out. This is worth attention, for the dog ordinarily slept in their room. "'What sort of a dog?' asked Mr. Howell. He had been listening attentively. "'A water spaniel.' The rest of the night or early morning was quiet at a quarter after seven ladley asked for coffee and toast for one and on mrs spitman's remarking this said that his wife was not playing this week and had gone for a few days vacation having left early in the morning remember during the night he had been out for medicine for her now she was able to travel and in fact had started mr howell was frowning at the floor "'If he was doing anything wrong, he was doing it very badly,' he said. "'This is where I enter the case,' said Mr. Holcomb. "'I rode into the lower hall this morning to feed the dog, Peter, "'who was whining on the staircase. "'Mrs. Pittman was coming down, pale and agitated over the fact that the dog, "'shortly before, had found floating in the parlor downstairs "'a slipper belonging to Mrs. Ladley, "'and later a knife with a broken blade.' She maintains that she had a knife last night upstairs, that it was not broken, and that it was taken from a shelf in her room while she dozed. The question is, then, why was the knife taken? Who took it, and why? Has this man made away with his wife, or has he not? Mr. Howell looked at me and smiled. "'Mr. Holcomb and I are old enemies,' he said. "'Mr. Holcomb believes that circumstantial evidence may probably hang a man. I do not.' "'and to Mr. Holcomb. "'So, having found a wet slipper and a broken knife, "'you are prepared for murder and sudden death.' "'I have more evidence,' Mr. Holcomb said eagerly, "'and proceeded to tell what he had found in the room. "'Mr. Howell listened, smiling to himself, "'but at the mention of the Onyx clock he got up and went to the mantel. "'By Jove!' he said, and stood looking at the mark in the dust. "'Are you sure the clock was here yesterday?' "'I wound it night before last.' and put the key underneath. Yesterday before they moved up, I wound it again. The key is gone also. Well what of it, Holcomb? Did he brain her with the clock or choke her with the key? mister Holcomb was looking at his notebook. To summarize, he said, we have here as clues indicating a crime the rope, the broken knife, the slipper, the towel, and the clock. Besides, "'This scrap of paper may contain some information.' "'He opened it and sat gazing at it in his palm. "'Then, is this Ladley's writing?' he asked me in a curious voice. "'Yes.' "'I glanced at the slip. "'Mr. Holcomb had just read from his notebook. "'Rope, knife, slipper, towel, clock.' "'The slip I had found behind the washstand said, "'Rope, knife, shoe, towel, Horn, the rest of the last word was torn off. Mr. Howell was staring at the mantel Clock, he repeated. End of chapter 3